It's wonderful to have you here today on the Clark Howard Show. A tough day for people recovering from the massive hurricane, unprecedented in recent times, that hit the uh, panhandle of Florida and moved through southwest Georgia and now is principally a rain event elsewhere. And just want you to know that I'm thinking of you as you suffer through trying to recover. And I was texting with a relative of my wife last night who was in the dark with his wife and children, no power, and trees were coming down around them. And they they live far from the coast, but sustained tremendous property damage and will have to rebuild. And you just never know. You wake up one day, life's one way, and before you know it, it's something else you have to rebuild from and recover from. So speaking of an organization that needs to recover its good name, Google, and I'm going to talk about that later, how Google really messed up in a big way and has not really sufficiently apologized for what they've done, and that will be the Clark Rage. And later yet, the stock market is going through a hiccup right now. I want to tell you what it means to you in your 401k or investment account or anything like that, what you might expect moving forward. I want to talk about a couple of things with healthcare. And one, I was very excited about the president signing a new law that addresses something that has been a clark Rageous moment on our show several times so that you will know that pharmacists have been under a gag rule where they have not been allowed to tell you that the medicine that you were filling a prescription for was available cheaper just by you being a cash payer or using a third-party discount program like GoodRx or whatever, that it, this restraint on your freedom to know was absolutely shocking and in a bipartisan manner. Can you ever say that in Washington anymore? The Patient Right to Know Drug Prices Act passed and the president is now signed into law but the important thing is not that the gag rule is done away with, that the insurers imposed and the pharmacy benefits managers imposed, that you now can ask the pharmacist. The key is you have to know how often it happens that when you go to fill a prescription under an insurance plan, that the cost under the insurance plan may be many times more expensive than you just paying cash for that medicine. Shopping around and paying cash. It will vary from med to med, but you need to know the importance of shopping around and the importance of asking before you fill through your insurance, is this cheaper for you if you didn't have insurance or a program like GoodRx? If you're not familiar with GoodRx.com, check it out. Other surprising news on the health front if you are an individual buying health coverage on your own, for the first time since the Obamacare exchanges started, premiums on average around the country are going down for next year, not up. You know, during open enrollment, you can shop around 
and see what's available. But now insurers more are coming back into the marketplace after a number of years of having less and less competition on the exchanges. There are more insurers offering plans and that creates competition. Not everywhere in the country are prices going down, but the general trend around the country is prices are actually declining. And you, if you do buy your own individual plan, the next open enrollment period starts November 1st. And you have only a six-week window to sign up for individual coverage for 2019. And that's great news about premiums having not just moderated, but started a trend line of declining. We don't know if this is a one-year thing. Who knows? Because nobody expected this to be uh, released when the rates were released by the Department of Health and Human Services. Nobody expected that premiums around the country would decline. And these are for full... uh, Obamacare compliant plans, meaning no exclusion for pre-existing, coverage for uh, all illnesses, coverage for pregnancies, all that. So it is another bit of good news on the healthcare front where the news historically has not been so good. Andrew is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Andrew. You are moving towards the end of paying off your student loans. Is that right? That is correct. Well, what kind of journey have you been on with that? How rough's it been? Um, I would say I would say it's uh, been pretty rough. I've I've tried to focus pretty heavily on trying to get those paid off as soon as possible, um, but it has taken a lot of um, a lot of work to do so, and I uh, had to make some sacrifices. But but we're nearing the end, so I'm pretty excited about it. Well, that is great news. How much do you have left burdening you? I've got just over 6100 at the moment. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because, you know, when I hear from people calling me about student loans, usually it will be in the tens of thousands or uh, probably one in five times it will be more than $100,000 in student loans that someone's asking me about. Yeah, I started at uh, right at about thirty two. Um a couple years ago, and so I'm nearing the end, so it's a very great feeling to have. Wonderful. Well, how can I be of service in this quest to be done with the student loan lenders? So the question I have is, so I've got just over the 6,100 in student loan, and it's uh, right at 4%, uh, 4.01% interest on that. Uh, I have a a little bit over 7,000 built up in just individual savings, and so I'm I'm just I'm questioning: Do I just go ahead and erase the student loan and be done with it, or just continue it out? And I'm looking at potentially making the last payment in March or April of next year. So that's even if you did not um, kill off your savings, you'd still be done in another half year. Yes, that's correct. All right. So that means you're a very determined saver. You're very careful with your money. I would go ahead and blow out the student loans and extend an early Christmas gift to yourself. <laughs> okay. Because if I you're on that it. kind of trend line where you're paying 500 or so a month towards this balance, 
you're going to replenish your savings pretty quickly. And getting to that goal line of getting rid of the student loans is so worth it with the slog you've been through. Reward yourself and wipe it out. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that because that was the kind of the same 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 thought process I had. Is if I go ahead and remove this now, it just benefits me in the long term because I can put all that extra money back into savings and replenish that and build it back up. And, and pretty quickly too. The one thing though that I want to make sure you're aware, the record keeping by the student loan servicers is pitiful. And you need to keep the document showing that you have successfully paid off your student loans for guess how long? Forever. That is right. (laughs) For the rest of your life, you need to keep the proof because over the years, it's been so disturbing to me when I hear from someone who's being hassled by a student loan collector on loans they long since paid off, even decades Mm -hmm. before, and they have no way of proving they actually paid them off. And Congress, in its wisdom, gave student loan collectors extreme powers where they don't even have to prove the validity of a debt. And that's why having your proof of payoff is so key. Yeah, I I appreciate you reminding me on that. I'll definitely make sure I I get that um, when I do get this uh, cleared out. And congratulations to you and your early Christmas gift to yourself. Thank you very much. I I appreciate the advice. Certainly. And Sam is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sam. Yes, hi, Clark. How are you? Wonderful, Sam. How can I be of service to you? Um, Yes, Clark. I had a question for you uh, about a situation I have. Um, uh, I have a nine-month-old baby, and uh, I I have some money. Uh, He had received some monetary gifts from family and friends, and... uh, have close to a thousand dollars for him, and uh, I'm considering either starting um, a 529 account uh, for him or uh, a Roth IRA for my wife, uh, and just use that money to fund that, and hopefully fund it in the future. The same money that I would have allocated to the 529, and then in case he needs it for college, we can go ahead and make the withdrawals for it. And I. Yeah, but you can only withdraw your contributions. You can't withdraw any earnings from the Roth without causing problems for yourself or, okay. or your wife for herself. But yes, that's actually a very smart strategy unless anybody who gave gifts to your young baby would really be mad at you for doing this. I like what you're thinking of doing, that you take the money, open a Roth for your wife. If the money's never needed for your uh, newborn's college, then the money continues to grow for your wife's retirement. And so I think that's a great win. It's The Roth is tax-free growth all through the years. It's tax-free in retirement. But if your um, infant, and I didn't even ask you, what's your infant's name? Uh, his name is Adam. Well, for Adam, if Adam needs money for college, then... At least that uh, nearly thousand that people donated, she's able to take it out and use it for college costs, and it has no implications at all for financial aid or tax or anything. Yeah, and I did want to mention that uh, we do plan to keep that money for him, even if we use it in the Roth for my wife, or at least we will 
take out whatever we contributed to the Roth and make sure that money goes to him. Uh, but I also read that uh, I could withdraw the earnings uh, penalty-free as long as it's used for college. No, no, you can withdraw the... Um I don't want you to do that. Only pull out the contributions because then it can be done for any purpose. Leave the leave the earnings in there for your wife's benefit for all through the decades. And for Adam, if let's say 18 years from now Adam's going to college and you don't need to draw on the money from the Roth better yet and you use uh you do mental accounting where you remember, well we got to come up with at least $900 because that's what went into my wife's Roth back long mm-hmm. ago. I, so I love okay. the strategy. And with a 1000 bucks, you can open pretty much any of the low-cost Roths out there. Sounds Fidelity great. has no minimum. Vanguard's $1,000. Uh, Schwab is trying to remember what their... I think their minimum's 1000 mm-hmm. for an adult. So, But 1000 is kind of a key trigger with the low-cost companies. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bob. Sure. And uh, again, congratulations on Adam, and I hope Adam is a good sleeper. Thank you. Yeah, he is. Great. You know, if you've heard me over the years where I'm always asking parents of newborns how they slept, you can tell this is a minor PTSD thing for me with my three children. None of them really liked to sleep through the night when they were young babies. And I don't think you ever get past that as a parent. Today's Clark Rageous moment is Google. It's been a while since Google has been the subject of a Clark Rageous moment, but what they didn't do recently really has made me hot under the collar. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. So. Things are always going to come out. You know, Google had a data breach when Google had tried to compete with Facebook with this thing called Google Plus that didn't work at all. And it was a big fail for Google. And then on top of it, there was a data breach that uh, exposed people's personal information. And Google chose to keep it secret because apparently... They didn't want to uh, hurt Google's reputation at a time where all the big tech companies are under a microscope. So all they did was amplify the damage done to them rather than just when you mess up, you fess up, period. It's simple. And of all people to know that, gosh, Google certainly is one of the companies that should know that if you do have a screw-up with people's personal information, you need to tell them. Now, there is something good coming out of this, and that is that Google is launching a new initiative to make information through Gmail much more private. And that's the direction they should be going. But if you want to make sure that your emails are as protected as they possibly could be, use another free email service called Proton Mail, which I've mentioned to you before, that is an email service that is ultra-secure and private, no prying eyes. For search, why don't you consider instead of using 
Google for search, the dominant search engine in the country, if you want more privacy in your life, check out DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo is now 10 years old. DuckDuckGo does not track your information. DuckDuckGo does not give ad results first to confuse you, thinking it's the information you should be looking for. And with most browsers, whether you use uh, Chrome from Google or Firefox or you use Safari or uh, the Windows product, you can choose DuckDuckGo as your default search engine and use it knowing that nobody's going to be trying to capture your information and what you're searching. So if you're looking for more privacy in your life and you don't trust Google, there are so many ways you can do this stuff. Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. A lot of angst being expressed that I'm hearing from people about the stock market as the last few weeks have been a tough roller coaster ride. It's always a tough ride when the scary ride is down. But this is, there's no way of me predicting if this is the start of a bear market. Bear market is when the value of stocks overall drops 20% or more, or even something was a mild thing called a correction, which is decline at 10% or more. But we have had a nearly unprecedented run that started in late winter of 2000, no, early spring, 2009, and has gone on pretty much with just a few hiccups over almost 10 years, nine and a half years. This is extremely unusual and values of a lot of stocks by historical measurements are too high. Nothing like uh, foolish bubble territory, anything like that. But stocks do overshoot on the upside and overshoot as they come down. It's just part of the emotional factor involved with stocks. Plus, a lot of trading now is computer-based, and so the moves in stocks can be a lot sharper in short periods of time. Just in the trading session today, stocks moved up and down, up and down, up and down. And uh, if you look day by day, who knows? Just know that do not panic about what you might hear reported or whatever. The stock market was given artificial care for years after the banking scandals. And the federal government did everything it could to reflate the economy. So a certain amount of the value in stocks is fake value because if you think about it, if you tried to open a savings account for years and years, you would earn nothing on your savings. This was all part of the process of trying to keep capitalism functioning in the U.S. And so now as interest rates steadily climb towards real levels, stocks don't look quite as good. And that's part of the effect of getting back to a more normal economic environment. And so as a stock investor, I'm changing nothing. 
because I know this is part of the game as it goes through cycles. If there was money that I had in stocks that I knew I was going to need to use in the next few years, I would be nervous because that money shouldn't be in stocks. But everything in life is about knowing the risk based on the time that you can afford to take risk. So money that you are putting in, let's say, as most people do, most people's involvement with the stock market is through a 401k, a Roth IRA, and through a plan where you're invested in funds. And if you're putting in each pay period or putting in regularly each month, let's say in a Roth IRA, don't even fret about any of this. Just remember that what happens today is pretty much irrelevant if you're 10 or more years away from when you're going to need any of the money. And you just keep going steady as you go, as long as the money you're putting aside in a retirement plan is well diversified. Well diversified, what that means in simple English, is that having money in a variety of stocks, not your employer's own, in fact, the percent I like for you to have in an employer's own stock in a 401k is 0%, that your money should be well spread out. The easiest choice of investing bores you, confuses you, or intimidates you is go in the target retirement fund that you're offered where you work for the year closest to when you plan to retire. Not necessarily from that company, but you plan not to work anymore. And and a Roth IRA. Again, if the whole thing about how to pick and choose investments is not your thing, go into a target retirement fund because that is a simple way. So you diversify your money across many different types of investments and you diversify over time. As long as you're doing those two things, putting money in regularly, steadily for years to come, whatever they report about the Dow up, the Dow down, the S&P this, the S&P that, the NASDAQ, whatever, if all that's hieroglyphics to you, fine. It's not important as long as you are doing the basics of putting the money aside each and every pay period, each and every month. Pam is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Pam. How you doing? I am doing great. How are you, sir? Wonderful. Thank you. Pam, you want a money-saving tip from me, I gather. Well, yes. Um, you had, I had listened, I listened to you on my way home from work, and you had mentioned something about a jacket or a coat that you wear that you put your, you use instead of luggage, essentially. Yeah, so when I fly on one of the deep discounters, which we have three in the United States, Spirit, Frontier, and Allegiant, they mm-hmm. charge, you know, the way the business model works is they may sell you a ticket for $20 one way, but the baggage charge will be more than the cost of the ticket, even for a carry-on. Mm-hmm. So there are now a variety of sellers selling jackets, clothing items, that you can stuff with um, clothes in them and you know uh, whatever electronics chargers whatever and nobody charges you for wearing a jacket so right. uh, there's the biggest seller of these the one that's best known is scotty vest s-o-s-c-o-t-t-e 
vvictoryest, scottyvest.com. Mm-hmm. And the cost of their items is really expensive, but I only buy from their outlet where they're getting rid of the things that were slow sellers. And they wow. sell vests, jackets, pants, um, a variety of clothing items that inside have all kinds of pockets you can stuff in. And I have a puffer jacket that I bought from their outlet that has nine pockets inside that I can stuff a ton of stuff. So um, last flight on Spirit, I flew with the big puffer jacket and this micro carry-on I have that I got at Costco that Costco sells for $29. And so I had no baggage charge at all. Wow, and will that work to to Europe and out of the uh, internationally as well? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, right. people stuffing stuff in clothing is something Europeans have done for as far back as I can remember. Because there's a giant airline in Europe, historically it's been one of the most profitable airlines in the world, called Ryanair. And mm-hmm. Ryanair was the one that originally came up with the idea of charging people separately for everything and so europeans have been way ahead of us on wearing clothing that you could just stuff everything in the pocket so you wouldn't have to pay baggage charges well that's great well thank you very much and i'm going to check out their website and of course their outlet store yeah is there anywhere else you should buy other than the discount you can get because scotty vest normal prices woo, they are some serious prices And so the only way I would ever buy one was something that had been a fail that was on the outlet. I am cheap sometimes, aren't I? Scott's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Scott. Hey, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. Hope you are. Yes, I'm doing well. I'm getting a little rain here from the the storm coming through. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I hope not too much. Yeah. So my question is, I, I own two duplex in uh, upstate New York, and I have renters that turn over every couple of years or so. Um, it's not very frequently, but um, my question is, um, who would you recommend uh, for to provide a service for doing background checks on potential renters? Well, I'm going to suggest a couple of sites that have grown up since the real estate bus, since so many people are landlords now owning from typically one to five properties. It's hard to know how to do the background checks, how to collect the right. rent and all that. And right. so you look on the internet and there's a lot of available services out there that want to charge anywhere from, you know, nineteen dollars to, you know, upwards of fifty dollars. Sure. Well, let me tell you about several. First, Cozy, C O Z Y. Have you seen that one? No. Cozy.co. Okay. Gosh, when people use something other than .com, it gets so confusing, but it's .co, and Cozy is set up specifically with an entire suite of services for independent landlords. Their number one thing is doing rent collection for people, where the whole idea is that your tenants pay electronically through their platform. And if somebody hadn't paid on time, their system automatically knows to bill them whatever late fee is in your lease. What type of service charge do they typically charge, Clark? So a lot of the stuff they offer is free. 
It's one of those freemium business models like a lot of apps on a smartphone. And they don't publish their price list for the things that they charge for. But if you'll let them bother you from time to time with soliciting emails, you can put in your email address and they'll send you the price list for the things they do charge for. But you are allowed on a background check, you charge the tenant for that. Right. And so so these services like Cozy.co and another one I'll mention that's owned by TransUnion called MySmartMove.com. They're set up specifically for you as part of your application, which is perfectly legal and any big apartment operator would do it, for you to have an application fee and that application fee covers the cost of you running the background check. Now, right. what, what you'll so, find is you look through different sites. If you want to find a list of a lot of them, probably you could look at landlord.com, which is kind of a clearinghouse of information for landlords. But okay. the what they consider to be a background check varies from site to site. Like some of them, all they do basically is a simple credit check, where others will do a more thorough background check, see if somebody's been in trouble with the law and that kind of stuff. What level would you recommend as far as going? How deep would you do a background check on a potential tenant? That is impossible to answer, and I think it depends on your experience as a landlord. What areas have been trouble for you with tenants, if there have been any? I mean, if really, for a lot of landlords, the only real issue has ever been, does somebody pay on time? And in that case, if that's been your historical pattern, doing a traditional credit check is all you need to do. On the other hand, if you've had problems with tenants who have skipped, who maybe have done illegal activities in one of your rental properties or anything like that, then you really, based on that experience, would want to do a much more involved background check that does involve a criminal background check as well. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to stay with just the uh, financial background check. I, I'm pretty much filter out some of those other ones, you know, the, the shady characters, as you might call them. So um, you've, been, you've been doing your own human-type screening of people. Yeah, I, I have been up until, you know, recently, and I'm thinking maybe it's a good time to maybe use a professional service since, you know, it won't cost me anything, right? I can pass that on to the potential renter. And renters expect that. Yeah, and I have just one last question, Clark, if you don't mind. Sure. Should I give a copy of the report to the renter, or should I? Is that not necessary? I I would say only if they ask for it. Okay. I have no problem with disclosure to people. You know, so yeah. if you've got a background check on them, and and somebody asks to see it, yeah, why not? Okay. Because then you're not the bad guy. If they're saying, "What are you talking about?" You know, you say, "Well, hey." Here it is. Right. So and then I, their I beef is with whoever did the background check, not with you. Right. So well, I don't know if you know this, but I know one service, I think it's called American uh, Apartment Owners Association. When w- Before they release the information to me, they will send the person whose background check you're investigating and, and a confirmation email that it's okay to release that information to me. And they should do that because you have to have a legitimate business purpose 
and you have to be able to show that you had proper permission to do background check on someone. So I have no problem with them requiring the tenant, the prospective tenant, to be notified first before you get to see the information, just so they know that you really did have proper permission for the background check you're running. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. And producer Joel asks it, what you got, Joel? Clark, Dan reached out. He said he wants to know, are there mutual funds that invest in solar? Yes, there is an alternative energy fund. I think it's an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, which is like a um, sibling of a mutual fund or index fund. And I haven't followed it at all. And so, gosh, who is it who has that? Nobody's asked me that before. I'm going to have to look for that. But yes, there is somebody doing, not specifically solar, but an alternative energy. And I don't do narrow investing like that into a very narrow sector. So that's why I can't tell you exactly whose that is. I'll have to hunt for that. All right, Clark. And Craig wrote in, he said, I've just been called by a person who said that I was selected to receive a one-time federal grant of $9,000 from the government that I said I would need to pay a $200 fee before they could process the grant. This sounds too good to be true. It's always fun during an Ask Clark to be able to have a big pile of cow manure come into your life. And that is a bunch of cow manure. The thing with the government grants being out there for you and it's been identified and all you need to do is pay the finder's fee or whatever, it is completely an oldie but baddie. It's a scam that's been around for a long, long time. I can't even say how long because it's been the government grant scam has been so common for so long. But it is 100% bogus. All right. And PR says, what are your thoughts on insurance for job loss? That's what unemployment compensation is for. I would not buy a separate insurance policy. The real insurance policy against any unexpected circumstance is your rainy day fund. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.